Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Thank you for joining us here on Health Professional Radio. In this segment, we're going to have a conversation with returning guest Brad Chapman. He's joining us here from UCB to talk about UCB's launch of partnerships to better understand clinical economic impact of epileptic seizure clusters. Welcome back, Brad. How have you been? Very well. Thanks for having me back again. It's great to uh, to reconnect. For those who are may not be familiar with you as a contributor, give us a, a refresher as to uh, who Brad Chapman is and your role at UCB. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's really my pleasure to be here today representing UCB. My, my current role is as the head of U.S. neurology for epilepsy and our rare syndrome portfolio here at the organization. And I'm really privileged to able to work with a great team of individuals who are responsible for advancing the company's commitment to helping those living with epilepsy and rare seizure disorders, and really ensuring that we connect them with the solutions and the support that allow them to live at their own ideal, if you will. Uh, I oversee UCB's nationwide team of, of dedicated medical, commercial, and patient support specialists, and the deepest and really most diverse portfolio of novel anti-seizure medications in the industry with Act, Nasalam, and Ventepla. Economic impact of epileptic seizure clusters. First of all, what is an epileptic seizure cluster? Really, it's, uh, it's, it is a great question, right? Seizure clusters, or sometimes known as acute repetitive seizures. Um, I think, I know for me personally, right, when I first heard this term, I assumed it was a series of seizures that were kind of close proximity to one another, one happening rapidly after the next um, and while it's true, really put simply, seizure clusters are episodes of increased seizure activity during which two or more seizures occur within a 24-hour period. Uh, these clusters are, are pretty distinguishable from a person's typical seizure pattern. And they are a form of well, what we consider a seizure emergency that can evolve into prolonged seizures or even status in some uh, situations. More than 150,000 people or one-third of patients in the U.S. with uncontrolled epilepsy actually experience seizure clusters. And rescue medications can be used during or after a seizure cluster to disrupt the progression of the seizure, forestalling, again, what could become a prolonged or more severe clinical event. Um, we're really fortunate that we have a rescue medication and a nasal spray, which can be administered by non-healthcare professionals when and where the seizure clusters appear. You mentioned uncontrolled epilepsy. Explain to our listeners what uncontrolled epilepsy is as opposed to controlled or treated epilepsy. Are some patients uh, at a higher level of the condition or a different level than others? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's a really great question, and it means different things to different people within their lived experience. But in simple terms, uncontrolled epilepsy is when an individual is still experiencing seizures. Right? Despite being treated, despite medication, despite potentially having surgeries, they're still living day-to-day -day or in some consistent basis experiencing seizures on, again, a consistent in a consistent manner. So that's the kind of the core goal for, I think, everyone in the healthcare community and the ecosystem, patients and caregivers, is to get those seizures under control and to get people to or as close to seizure freedom as possible. Unfortunately, many patients, about a third, do continue to live with seizures hence the need for something like a rescue medication. Now, you recently announced, uh, UCB uh, recently announced some partnerships. With whom have you partnered and why is this so significant, these partnerships? Is this an underserved area of research? Yeah, absolutely. It's, 
you know, again, as, as simple as it might sound, seizure clusters are, are sometimes really hard to identify. They've either been normalized by the individual living with them or hard to identify by a clinician because they are really focused on treating other seizure types. So we are very excited about these partnerships because you're spot on. This is really what we believe an under-examined area that needs further research and further um, information to help advance patient care. So we've recently announced three really exciting partnerships uh, with Lebonner Children's Hospital, with the Wisconsin Health Information Organization, and with Yale University. And just to go a little bit more into each of those and what they intend to do, we're excited about Lebonner Children's Hospital because at its core, this will be an ask the experts project, if you will. And it really looks to provide education and resources to address gaps in care such that when an individual does recognize they have seizure clusters, be it themselves, through their caregiver, through their clinician, there are resources that will be provided to say, hey, this is what it is. This is how we treat it. This is what's changed. And this is what you need to do, ultimately, to ensure that you have your own seizure action rescue plan. Now, our partnership with Wisconsin Health, excuse me, now our partnership with the Wisconsin Health Information Organization, a little bit different because we're looking at data and we're looking at claims at a state level. We want to do that to understand ultimately the impact of what occurs if you actually don't treat these seizure clusters, right? So we'll look at prescribing trends, healthcare utilization costs, access barriers, and disease prevalence, and again, explore drivers of better outcomes to say this is the economic and clinical impact of treating versus not treating seizure clusters. And then the third partnership that we've recently announced was with Yale. Um, and this is a, a true study designed to assess the, again, the impact of seizure rescue medications, right? Treatment patterns, health resource utilization, clinical quality improvement tools, such as seizure action plans, and ultimately that patient caregiver experience. We really want to understand the seizure cluster management continuum and contribute to new insights into clinical management and patient-centered care. So what's on the horizon, in your opinion, as this research progresses? I think on the horizon, we look to, to address several factors here. One in its core is, is what we spoke about earlier, is just simply the identification of seizure clusters. You know, sometimes we, we've had the, the opportunity to meet individuals who've lived for an extended period of time with seizures. Those seizures have been uncontrolled, and they simply didn't recognize that, that they indeed were suffering from seizure clusters. That's the first step. The second step is then to say, well, there is an option that's available, and it is a nasal rescue medication. Many of these individuals, particularly if we think about the adult population, have lived for years with only pretty much a handful of options and one really significant option that was administered rectally. So for a lot of folks, that really wasn't the best route of administration. That wasn't the preferred route of administration. So to now have something that is able to be given nasally by a non-healthcare provider, by that caregiver, is really a significant advancement in this space. And I think the last part on the horizon, what this seeks to help us understand is the impact of treating and how not only the impact of treating of stopping those clusters quickly, but also helping that individual return to their baseline function, right? To be able to administer a medication and not necessarily spend the next 12 to 24 hours being somewhat sedated, but to be able to, and what, we, what we've seen is the vast majority of patients were able to get back to kind of these normal activities of daily living uh, within 90 minutes. So those are the elements that are on the horizon with the introduction of a new nasal 
uh, spray for seizure clusters. And obviously, uh, improving the quality of life for that patient improves the quality of life and the stress level on the caregiver as well. No, absolutely. Again, we're we're really fortunate at UCB to have a commitment to engaging with the end user, in this case, people who are living with seizure clusters and those who are caring for them. And you've you, you get to hear these stories, right, that speak to the point that you just mentioned. Uh, we met, I would say, probably almost a year and a half ago, a mom of uh, taking care of her 18 to, say, 20-year-old son. And, and she shared the story that when he was younger, it was okay to administer one type of medication to him because she was very, very easy for her to care for him. It was very easy for her to take him back to his bed after a seizure event. Um, but now that he was a 20-year-old young man, it was kind of hard to do that, right? It was kind of hard to help him back to essentially, in her words, to drag him back to bed so that he could rest. With the introduction of a nasal, intranasal uh, solution, she was able to not only administer it, but then he was able to return to function and actually carry on with his day, take himself back to the bed, rest for a little while, and get on with things. So it has huge implications for the individual suffering from seizure clusters. But to your point, the whole community that's around them, it really helps from an administration perspective, from a stopping the seizure cluster perspective, and then returning to kind of, again, that baseline activity. Brad, give us a website where our listeners can learn more about the developments at UCB. The best place to, to see all of us in kind of that one-stop shop is www.ucb-usa.com. So again, www.ucb-usa.com. That'll bring you to the core of the portfolio, but it will also link you out to many other sites and resources that are not only specific to UCB in the portfolio, but other partnered organizations who are providing solutions in this space. Brad, once again, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for returning. Looking forward to our next conversation. Hey, thanks, Neil. Be well, and we'll speak soon. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard, in conversation with returning guest Brad Chap. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Listen in, download at SoundCloud, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Radio.